you have your Bible with you, turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark. New Testament book of Mark. This morning we will begin chapter 5. We will read verses 1 to 20. We are going to be looking at one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of Mark. We're in a series thinking about Jesus as our king, watching him on the move, demonstrating the power of his kingdom. And today we will see that in full effect as we watch Jesus in the graveyard. With all that in mind, let's read together Mark chapter 5 verses 1 to 20. This is the word of the Lord. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, that's Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. I have a confession to make to you this morning. You may not know this about me, but I'm the kind of guy that really likes birds. I enjoy bird watching. It's kind of my thing. I am not very good at it. Skilled bird watchers not only can see a bird and note its colors and shape and all of that and tell you what kind of birds they're looking at, a skilled bird watcher can just hear 
the call of the bird and spot it right, right on sound. They, they just know what it is. I'm not that good at it, honestly, but I like it. I, I, I can be found sometimes, especially when I'm in a different region of the country and they have different birds. I can be found wandering the yard, wandering the street with my phone out because I have this phone app. And I've heard a bird in its call, and I am scanning the list of birds, playing calls on my phone, trying to match the bird that I hear with the bird on my phone. And the question, what, what am I hearing? What is this call? British philosopher Bertrand Russell would tell me this. He once wrote, it does not matter what the mockingbird on the chimney is singing. The real question is, why is it beautiful? Not what are you hearing, but what makes that song so sweet? What makes that beautiful? And Bertrand Russell writes, and this gets to where we're going. As usual, we have been asking the wrong question. We like to ask the wrong questions. In business, business experts tell us that the wrong question is, how can I make the sale today? When what you should ask is, how can I make this business great? How can I make this business successful? Let me make it personal for you. We operate like this all the time. We wake up and we say, what do I want to do today? Well, what we should be asking is, who do I want to be in five years? What kind of person do I want to be? And how does that shape how I live today? We ask the wrong questions. We ask, whether it's in the church or in a business, in our home, in all kinds of areas of life, we ask, what's going to happen if this changes? Instead of asking, what's going to happen if we don't change? Pastor David Jeremiah tells the story that people come to him over and over again and, and ask, is God done with America? And he'll tell them, this is the wrong question. The question is, is America done with God? We tend to fall into this trap of asking the wrong questions when we open up the Bible. We see that in stories like this. People read this story and their questions are all about demons and pigs. You can see this in pop culture, movies, TV shows, etc., People come to this story and they want to ask, how do I perform step-by-step step an exorcism? Let me read this story and figure out how I'm supposed to get rid of demons. Or people who are animal lovers will ask, why was Jesus so cruel to let all those pigs die? What was he thinking? And, and friends, as silly as that is, 
It's a sad picture of how we read the Bible. I would dare to say that a lot of us, if we open the Bible, we ask the wrong questions. And over the next two weeks, what I would like to do is give you some better questions. Because if we don't ask the right questions, we'll never get the right answers. So today, as we look at this passage, I want to give you the one question you should always ask, no matter where you're at in the Bible. And it doesn't matter what book you're studying, what devotion you're doing. If you don't ask this question, then it's pointless and you're asking the wrong question. What question do I ask? Well, I'm glad you asked that. That's the right question. The question to ask is this. What does this teach about Jesus? Brothers and sisters, if you can study the Bible, if you can go to a Sunday school class, if you can read any kind of book and you don't ask this question, you are missing the point. And that's what this story is all about. And so today we're going to look at three truths about Jesus and about his power. That's what this story is about. So what does this teach about Jesus? Number one, there is no place his power cannot go. There is no place that Jesus' power cannot go. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This is just after Jesus calmed the storm. We read that story two weeks ago. And they have made it to the other side of the sea. They are on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. They are not in Kansas anymore. They are in the country of the Gerasenes, which means, for you and me, they are in Gentile territory. They are not in the home of the Jews anymore. They are in unclean country. And in in case there's any doubt about it, you can look at verse 11. And when the disciples get off the boat, you can smell it. There are pigs. Now, according to Leviticus 11:7, these animals are unclean. So no faithful Jewish farmer would have pigs on their land. But not only that, in this time period, not too long before these events, pigs were used by Gentiles to persecute Jews, to taunt Jewish people. There is no way that they are in home territory here. And when they get into this, this Gentile land, they're not met by other fishermen. They're not met by little kids from the local Gentile school. Who are they met with? They are met by a demon-possessed man in a graveyard. In this place, a place of tombs, according to Numbers 19, is also a place of uncleanness. You couldn't be around dead bodies. And and when we say this word unclean, I want to be clear, I'm not talking about being dirty. It's not a matter of not taking baths before church on Sunday. Unclean is a spiritual defilement that keeps you from God's presence. And so they are... In a, they are in a heap of uncleanness. 
They're in Gentile territory. They have pigs around, and they're in a graveyard full of tombs. Unclean, unclean, unclean. There is no way you could be in God's presence in this place. One writer says, this is a place where no one would want to go for any reason. But contrary to all reason and expectation, Jesus goes there. When Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee, the change in his location doesn't change his ability. The change in geography doesn't change his power to demonstrate who he is. Jeremiah 10 verses 6 and 7, the prophet says, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Brothers and sisters, let's bring it home here. There is no place on earth Jesus is not king. There is no zip code. There's no location. There's no geographical area where Jesus does not reign. That's why in scripture the power of God shows up in Egypt in the throne room of Pharaoh. The power of God shows up in Babylon in the fiery furnace and in the lion's den. And the power of God shows up in another graveyard when Jesus rises from the dead on that first Easter morning. Where is the last place you would expect God's power to show up? Is it a relationship that's too broken? That's why you don't make any phone calls anymore? That's why you don't have Easter meals together anymore? Because there's no way God's power is going to show up in that relationship anymore. Is it a workplace? Those people are just pagans. They're not going to hear me out. They're too far gone. Is it a certain neighborhood? A city? A nation? I don't know how many times I've heard that someone would not go on a mission trip to another country because it's too dangerous. They're too evil. It's too violent. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 8. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Friends, the wrong question is if I go here, will God's power show up? If I Go to this location. If I step into this situation, if I step into this relationship, will God's power show up? That's the wrong question. The right question is, how will God's power show up? There is no place his power cannot go. The second truth we see about Jesus in this story is there is no person 
his power cannot reach. There's no person his power cannot reach. Let's read verses 3 to 6. The man lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. This man is a danger to himself, and he is a danger to those around him. He's cutting himself with stones. He's breaking free from his restraints. Doesn't matter what time of day it is, you go to this graveyard to to visit a loved one who's passed. You are going to hear someone from the corners of the mountains screaming at the top of their lungs in agony and pain and torments. It's the last guy you'd want to run into on the streets late at night. In the world, they've got no answer. They can do nothing about this guy. Their chains, they do not work. The only solution they have is to isolate him away from everybody else. Get him away from the kids. Get him away from the elderly. Get him away from everybody. The only person he can hurt is himself. In the world's eyes, this guy is a lost cause. He is beyond help. How much do you think has really changed? Look at those we would say are lost causes and beyond help. When we've tried everything else, what do we do with them? Warren Wiersbe writes, about all that society can do for problem people is to isolate them, put them under guard, and if necessary, bind them. And with all of our wonderful scientific achievements, society still cannot cope with the problems caused by Satan and sin. We may be able to label disorders. We may be able to treat symptoms with our medications, but deep down, our world has gotten no better at giving a true answer to the brokenness we face. At the end of the day, our chains still break because our sin is beyond human help. Jesus, though, this passage teaches us, rescues the person that the world cannot even hold down. Jesus delivers the person the world cannot even help. Jesus is powerful enough to save the unsavable, to rescue the unrescuable. That's the story of the gospel, brothers and sisters. Jesus didn't save you because you were pretty good. Jesus saved you when you were a lost cause. 
1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Listen, if the power of Jesus can reach the woman at the well, if the power of Jesus can reach the thief on the cross, if the power of Jesus can reach the Roman soldier underneath the cross, there's no no, no person that the power of Jesus cannot reach. That means you and I and anybody else you can think of are not the exception. Jesus can reach you and me and anybody in between no matter what power of darkness exists in our lives. The light of Jesus can overcome it. And for those of us who belong to Jesus, you should, this should resonate with you because this is our story. That's why Peter, who is a part of this story, says in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 4, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's His power. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So friend, if you're here today, I want to be clear. If you're here today and you you know that you're not a part of Jesus' family, that you don't claim Jesus as your Savior, I want to be clear. Those of us who are in the family are not in the family because of our power. We're not in the family because of something we did that we did better than you. We didn't make a better choice. We didn't make a better lifestyle decision. God displayed his divine power on us and rescued us. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can do that for you too. There is no medication, there's no prescription, there's no philosophy. It is Jesus that you need to deliver you from your sin. 1 John 4, 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Friend, if the Lord is inviting you to experience that power and that life and that love, all you have to do is turn from your sin and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did in his life, his death on the cross for your sin and his resurrection. And if you do that, if you believe in him that way, his divine power will give you everything you need for life, the Bible says. And not just this life but the life to come. Do not leave today without experiencing that kind of power and that kind of life. But brothers and sisters who follow the Lord, I want to remind us, when we see others around us walking in darkness and we're tempted to think they're too far gone, don't ask the wrong questions. How many of us forget the gospel And we look at others and why are they acting this way? Why has the world gone so crazy? Why is it getting so bad? You're asking the wrong question. Look at the gospel. Look at what the Bible says. 
Instead, what you need to be asking is, how can God use me in this moment to bring light to the darkness? How can God use me to bring his word to someone so that he can display his divine power in their life? Who around me needs this hope? Ask the right questions. And when we do that, we can have confidence, not cynicism, not fear, not doubt, but hope that Jesus can reach them. There's no person he cannot reach. The third truth that we see about Jesus in this story is there is no power his power cannot beat. There is no power his power cannot beat. Let us read verses 7 to 13. And crying out with a loud voice, the man said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he, that is Jesus, gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The world likes to think of the battle between good and evil as an even chess match. They have the same amount of power, the same amount of ability, the same amount of pieces on the board, and it's just a matter of seeing who is going to win. You read the story and you will see clearly that is not the case. We find out this man is tormented, not by a demon, but by a host of demons. In verse 9 he says, my name is Legion for we are many. It's a military term. Perhaps thousands of demons. Whatever the case, this is overwhelming oppression. This isn't elementary school exorcism. This is next level. And as soon as he gets off the boat, as soon as he gets off the boat, Jesus brings this entire army to its knees. The man comes in and just falls down. It's a form of worship, the term is. And, and they know who Jesus is. When Jesus calms the storm, what happens? The disciples ask, the disciples who've been with Jesus the whole time, ask, who is this? Jesus gets off the boat and the demons give the answer. They know. With one look, the legion can say, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And the name is, is significant. Most high in scripture emphasizes Jesus' authority over everyone and everything. He is the most high. It's in the Old Testament, it's used to, to dis display a God who reigns over every rival. That's why Psalm 97 verse 9 the psalmist writes, for you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. And the demons, they have no questions. They know Jesus has that kind of power. And that's why when Jesus shows up, the only thing they're allowed to do is beg. 
The only thing they have the ability to do is get on their knees and beg the Most High. Notice, they're not allowed to just do whatever they want. They're not allowed to just do as they please. They need the Most High's permission to do anything. And when Jesus speaks, the demons obey just like the winds and the waves when Jesus calms the storm. With one word, Jesus brings the entire army of darkness down. Done. There's no power that can stand up to the power of Jesus. Friend, how can this help you? How can this help you today in a world where it seems like evil is just spreading and growing and getting worse and worse? The headlines, even just this week, sickening. How do you deal with that? How do you handle it when, when the world increasingly, increasingly is hostile to good, to the gospel, to Scripture, the Bible, and when we ask the right questions of it, gives us a sober mind. It gives us stability so that we're, knocked over. we're not knocked over. We're not confused. Brothers and sisters, the Scripture's clear. The darkness is real. The darkness is real. Friends, we, we're not talking about it today. We dealt with it in chapter 1. The, the reality of spiritual darkness and warfare and demons. If you're not sure about that, you can go back on our website, find the sermon in chapter 1. This is the third exorcism in the book of Mark. And, and, and let me just encourage you, if you believe in a God who sent his son to become a man, to die for your sins, and to rise again from the dead... If you can believe that, you can believe in angels and you can believe in demons and darkness. That's easy compared to the resurrection. But how, how do we come to terms with what we see? Friends, the darkness is real. The Bible is clear. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Ephesians 2.2 this world is following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, for those of us who accept that, the temptation is to exaggerate that and make that power greater than the power of Jesus. And that's taking things too far because there is no power that Jesus' power cannot beat. The darkness is not stronger than the light. That's why 1 John 3, 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's a mission statement from God about His Son Jesus. So when the oppression is overwhelming, when the darkness is too much, remember 
the power of Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. Friends, don't ask the wrong questions. You see the evil in the world today? Don't ask the wrong questions. Why is this happening? What is this world coming to? How are my grandkids going to handle this? Wrong question. When is God going to let us escape this? When is God going to change this? Wrong questions. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13. Let's get some right questions. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Writer of Hebrews, who has the power like Jesus? And who has the promise like Jesus? And who has the guaranteed victory like Jesus? No one. Exodus 15 verse 11 gives us a question to ask. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like you, God? That's the question. Who is like you, Jesus? Brothers and sisters, in the midst of darkness, remember who Jesus is. There is no place his power cannot go. There is no person his power cannot reach. And there is no power his power cannot 